0: Necessity is the mother of invention So get ready for a
1: mother of a ride Gas up your laptops, your tablets and
2: devices Cause our asses are all quarantined inside More and more every day The world, it feels so very far
3: away
0: Less and less things to do So pull up a chair and let us talk to you
2: i'm summer i'm andrea she teaches english she's a historian and this is the more and more everyday podcast
3: a daily blog and interview series to capture and preserve the stories of students and teachers in
2: a world on the brink of change 2020 the year of covid 19 quarantine and social change brought to you by the south phoenix oral history project
3: at south mountain community college
2: Today's interview has a really special story behind it. It's a conversation with myself and Andrea and Drs. Mary Regoza, Reina Leon, and Amina Norris, all of the teacher education program at St. Mary's College of California. Back in the spring of 2020, these three experts who specialize in preparing future teachers for the classroom they worked together to create a really interesting document called humanizing online education. It was full of suggestions for teachers like us, educators across the country, who weren't just trying to learn how to use Zoom, but who were also trying to figure out how to keep an emotional and mental and intellectual connection with our students during a global pandemic. We first interviewed Mary Reina and Amina back in April but we had a bit of a technological glitch that happened after the interview, and we unfortunately lost the file of the interview. I can tell you we were completely crushed. The conversation in April was about so much more than using Zoom or Google Classrooms. It was this meaningful, emotional dialogue among these three women who were collaborators and colleagues, but also who were very vulnerable and kind and supportive of one another, and very invested in each other's lives in and out of the classroom. So back in July, I sheepishly reached out to Mary and said, is there just any way that the three of you might be willing to come on and talk with us again about the things that have changed since that initial conversation in April? So much had changed as our society was dealing with new issues about social injustices and protesting and safety beyond social distancing. Each of these women is a guide and a mentor, and in many ways an inspiration for any of us trying to do work right now in the COVID-19 era. Andrea and I were very fortunate to get the chance to interview these three again, and we learned even more the second time around. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you all three for joining us once again from St. Mary's College. If you would just go ahead and introduce yourselves, your name where you work, and your areas
4: of specialization. blessings, everyone. My name is Mary Regosa, and I'm an assistant professor of teacher education at St. Mary's College of California in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I I study what it means to teach math for social justice and support uh, pre-service teachers um, coming into the profession to think about how we can approach teaching, um, in humanizing and liberatory ways. And I've been the, the on and off um, program director um, of our single subject program here at St. Mary's um, with with my with my longtime colleague, um, Reyna, who, who has preceded me there by, by many years. So I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Reyna.
0: So I'm an old timer. <laughs> uh, Reyna Leon, I am a full professor of education at St. Mary's College California only the third Black person to achieve that rank at the university in over 150 years. (laughs) I'm in the first (laughs) Afro-Latina. So I was the director of the Single Subject Credential Program, a longtime faculty member um, within that program, and I will be returning after parental leave to be the, the chair of the Teacher Education Department. Really honored and excited about that. Um, My areas of of interest and specialty, uh, specialization, are around creative practice, around English methods, around the incorporation of um, resources and experiences um, with contemporary multicultural authors, um, and really challenging folks to stretch those creative muscles in uh, thinking about uh, educational practices and and practicing um, teaching for social justice. So, yeah.
1: So um, my name is Amina Norris, and I'm also I'm working in uh, St. Mary's in the Sisty program. Um, this is going into my second year um, uh, working with these brilliant uh, colleagues, and um, I focus. My focus is really around equity. Um, and social justice, particularly as it pertains to um, race and gender, and so um, so that's where like my heart is. That's where my research is. That's um, that's where a lot of. Uh, you know, what I teach, what I teach, um, so uh, this, this uh, year I'll be teaching like uh, foundations of literacy and I'm focusing that on African-American uh, literacy and that's been just, a, a, I love that class and teaching that class <laughs> and, um, and then also uh, teaching just like the methods, um, humanizing uh, educational methods, uh, course, uh, for, for all of our uh, incoming uh, cohort of students yeah
3: all right well thank you well it's been and probably even more how long ago um, summer did you interview you said two months
2: ago I think it was in April so almost three months ago yeah oh
3: wow so there's a lot that has happened um, in some really unprecedented times here what have been some of your highs and some of your lows
1: Uh, I, will start. So, uh, so, you know, when, when the pandemic first started and we were sheltering in place, I was actually thinking like, oh, you know, I have to train my kids on what to do, like how to, you know, how to live like with, you know, when you don't have all, you can't do a lot of stuff and you have to be creative. And I was like, just telling them, like, we're going to play board games and we're going to do, you know, so that was where my head was. And then, um, yeah, things happened, like, you know, black people started, I mean, I kind of, I think when we were having that conversation, I was saying, like, this is, feels genocidal, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I was feeling that, but it just, it, it exploded, right? So there was just this explosion and I feel like my response has also been very explosive because I, I I was furious and the fury came out and, you know, I started an LLC. I started a podcast. I wrote a memoir. Like I just did like all these things to try and like, um, just channel, you know, the, the anger into productivity um, and a contribution to black lives so that's where, you know, that's where I, I think that's my high um, or my, you know, my high point. And it's also my, my, it's been low because it's just been so, I mean, it's just every day, it's just heartbreaking, you know, just all of it, it, it you know, it's, it's um, and finding out, you know, I've been doing all of these interviews with like my family um, members and talking about police brutality and the impact on, you know, our family, extended family, a black family in America, and um, even to my mom's generation, mine, and then, like, my children's um, generation. And every to the person, like, pretty much everyone has experienced some kind of incidents with the police. And we're all over this country, you know, west, north, south, you know, you name it folks have lived there are living there now and every single person even like the young people you know 12 years old are talking about that so that's that part sucks you know beyond measure um but yeah so I'll toss it back to let's go back Raina and then Mary (laughs) sure um
0: so the high and the low of these last few months have been um rippling from the same point so the, we, um, those who are listening now for the first time don't know that we interviewed before, um, but we did. <laughs> and in that time, I was very, very pregnant. Um, and now I'm the mother of a punk rock toddler and, you know, my daughter who's nine weeks. So the, that point, that, um, that nexus was the birth of my daughter, um, who was born on the 23rd. I went in to have her um, under emergency conditions. I, I had planned to give birth at a maternity center. I gave birth to my son in that same space um, and uh, had a fever and all these things that uh, resulted in me having to be admitted um, and giving birth to her there under the suspicion of having COVID, although I did not have COVID. Um, but I was put in an isolation room. I Um, Had to deliver in a space with a HEPA filter going off for two and a half days. So you can't even, it it was like being in a space with an airplane turbine, like that kind of noise um, for two and a half days. um, And, you know, totally masked. um, I had COVID tests three times while I was there. Chest x-ray, all these things, lots of things. um, And also having to regularly fight that my daughter would not be taken away from me. Um, because of the suspicion, right, of of, um, trying to um, uh, avert contagion if I hadn't had COVID. Um, And so ultimately, I have a wonderful um, baby and very fast labor, which I knew (laughs) was going to happen. It's like, and I blink, and she's here. Um, And then two days later, um, we see the video of um, George Floyd being killed, right, Um, that terrible. Terrible, absolutely devastating murder, um, and the cries of um, towards his mother, right? Um, and as a as a mother um, of an infant in that time, and this rippling of um, protest and reckoning and reco- um, reconciliation and and revolution, and uh, we have all these things, y'all. Like, and this is the world, right? Um, where there is fear in in the air, like of what is in the air, what is in the breath, um, and at the same time um, trying to hold the joy of my family um, and the bliss of this moment, and also the the um, the rage and the challenge of like this are uh, this Whatever this bubble is of cannot be allowed to continue. So, um, and thinking about what I can do in my limited spaces to um, uh, to collaborate with community, to to strategize, to organize, to foster um, uh, flourishing in the ways that I can, right? Um, and so, yeah, uh, there are that that point of of my my daughter coming into the world. Um, Is uh, again that point of light and absolute joy at this uh, beautiful being, um, and at the same time, you know, recognition of um, all that is around it. So,
4: yeah. How about you, Mary? Um, You know, I'm just recognizing in this moment that you know, um, Reina. I read your your birth story and your your beautiful poetry, um, and Amina. I've been following all your amazing unhidden voices work and but I'm just realizing like this is the first moment I think when like the three of us have been in the same virtual space um, you know recently to sort of you know talk about what's how we are and I just am I'm just really moved by all that you're up to you know birthing humans and teaching humans and calling us to justice in really important ways Um, so I'm just feeling just that like couldn't go on without saying just tremendous gratitude for you know, being your colleague and your being a teacher educator in this world with you right now. Um, you know, I, I, um, I'm also a mom of a little one. I'm a, I'm a breastfeeding mom, a breastfeeding mama scholar, and my husband is a school principal. He actually just became a principal um, th- this month, a few weeks ago. And so, you know, we're both educators, and I, and I feel like we're both, we're in this space. The three of us are sheltering together. There, there they are behind me. I just know the am sitting my family. Um, the three of us are in this space, you know, together, and my husband and I are just, like, in one minute having what my daughter calls party dances. She doesn't call them dance parties, but party dances, where we just, like, I don't. I don't even know what we do. I'm not going to show anybody what we do. It gets funny. We have a fantastic time with each other. But we're like doing that, and then the next minute, like he and I are talking about, you know, what he's putting in his principal's message—the first, you know, time he's communicating with families, coming a principal in a pandemic, right? And I'm talking about, you know, my first class is actually tomorrow. You know, as a as a teacher educator, um, our summer intensive class. We have a Foundations of Urban Secondary Education class, um, and so we're moving through. You know, just everything together at this time which has been really wonderful and has been a joy for me both my daughter and with my partner um, you know I think we're just thinking about how can we how can we both understand and try to be active agents in in the moments and in the movements that we we're in right now um, and yeah you know I, in getting ready for class tomorrow I was just thinking like the three of us we wrote this piece together on humanizing online teaching you know since we talked last time I did a webinar with um, actually a a mentor teacher who who graduated from our program and her former student teacher from this last year, who's about to be a first year teacher, we did this webinar together about humanizing online math teaching, right? And so, like, my head's definitely been in thinking about this a lot, but you know, tomorrow's tomorrow's my first class. That's that's fully online, and um, that's not in the midst of the spring, you know, switch and everything. And I'm just like, this is really hard, and I just feel, you know, i just just a lots of humility right now, in in kind of figuring out what to do to just honor where my students are, um, their lives, what they may be going through, what we what we collectively, you know, are going through in society, how folks are being impacted inequitably right now. Um, you know, and I'm trying to be, you know, have some self-compassion and everything too, but, um, but I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. And thank you to just all three of you for being so vulnerable and authentic with us. Um, I think that's just like the most powerful thing we can do right now is to collaborate intellectually and emotionally. Uh, When we talked back in May or April, whenever it was, uh, I asked you about watershed moments. And at the time, my students and I were really looking at, we still kind of are, but as historians, we're kind of looking at like nationally, was there a date where everything seemed to shift? Um, But since Andrea has, has become a partner in this process, um, we're also starting to really look at watershed dates as well as impact, right? So Amina, you talked about some of the things that you have really shifted and changed as a result of this pandemic and so some of the social upheaval. And Reina, you mentioned having your daughter and George Floyd. So talk with me a little bit about, talk with us a little bit about um, maybe a watershed moment or a day or maybe a watershed impact that you're expecting or experiencing right now.
1: Um, well, so one of the things is that I never watch videos of people being murdered ever, because in my mind, it's like, we've come to a a place in, in our, in the world where it's like this kind of like, you know, porn, it's pornography, it's pornographic, right? And people are watching it and sharing it. And I don't want to get into this, um, desensitized, like I feel like if I watched that, I would become desensitized, and I I recognize that I'm a very empathetic human being, so I need to keep some sort of distance between like just devastating murders like this, and then my own psychological mental well-being, um, and this particular murder, uh, assassination of George Floyd, um, I had heard, and there was going on in the ether because you know we had the central central park um incident um with the uh cooper woman and you know we had Brianna Taylor's murder we had um uh, Amon Aubrey's murder so there was like it was like a galvanizing situation where all these people were getting murdered or you know r- racial racist incidents were happening and I heard George's George Floyd's name, but I didn't know the details of it. I just knew, like, okay, some uh, another brother was murdered in Minnesota. And my husband and I were working at home, and he says, you know, um, did you hear about the brother George Floyd? And I was like, no. You know, I heard the brother died, but I don't know too much about it. And he was like, you know, there they – he, he started describing it. And as soon as he started describing it, you know, it, it became a, a blip on the, on the television and they said, they're going to show the video. And it just was like an instantaneous thing where I see this video and it wasn't the full eight minute, 46 seconds, but it was long enough for me to recognize just the atrocity of that, you know, just the atrocity of it. And it just really something broke you know, I, I I just feel like, and it's not just me, like, I feel like in our nation, a lot of people's heart, like maybe it's all of our hearts are broken. It just, it was just like, and maybe it was also because we're at home and we're sheltering in place and people, you know, typically we, everybody's so busy, we don't have an opportunity to everyone just like focusing on in on this one thing. Like, you know, there's a million different distractions that's going on. And then it was like, no, like we're all watching this. And, um and I had kind of been going through this thing where I was trying to figure out like, I could do anything or, you know, but as a black person in America, and as a black woman, like the fragility of our lives here, you know, in this country, right. And so um feeling that fra- that feeling so fragile and like my life is just you know, this, this, you know, anything could happen at any moment, be it COVID or be it, you know, being killed by the police, then what is my job then? You know, cause I could put all of this effort in and then, you know, for other things that aren't going to really leave something behind for like a legacy for my children and for their children. Right. I could just, you know, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm a professor. I did whatever. I taught these kids, whatever. But what does that actually mean for the world? Like, what does it mean for my kids? You know what I'm saying? And I recognize, and I think that was the moment that it, it began to dawn on me that I have to make a contribution. And I also feel very strongly that part of the reason why. So I was watching like a lot of the media, and my brother was tear-gassed. My brother, my cousin, so I have an episode. uh, So I started a podcast. Actually, this podcast actually inspired me to do a podcast. So I launched a podcast. It's called Unhidden Voices. Um, My cousin, who is the principal of Oakland High School, uh, episode six, which airs tonight on uh, YouTube, he was tear-gassed. And so he was, my brother was with him and my, like, they're my, I call them my nephews, right? Because I've known them since they were babies. They were in Oakland and they got tear gassed and it was like a shelter in place. Oh, God, it's so much. So it was like a shelter in place. We're sheltering in place and then we get a quarantine um, notification that we have to mandatory that we all, you know, have to be inside, like all of these mayors, you know, told us that we had to be, we're already inside, but they were like, if you're not inside, you're getting beat down, right, by the police, right, and so, um so at 8.03, my brother said somebody threw a trash can, and the police tear gassed everybody that was there, including my brother, and like, so they the, he was the wearing a mask and then he just, you know, he said, he, at first he thought, oh, I'm wearing a mask. I'm invincible, right? Like it's not going to get me. And then the next thing you know, it just, everything closes up and you can't breathe. And he was suffocating. So he had to like run through this gas. And so, and then um, my nephew had like water bottles in his backpack and gave everybody water bottles and they doused their eyes and he was able to see. But I had read the story of um, Octavia, her her mom, like the the author is Octavia Spencer. The author, her mother was an activist in um, in Florida, and she was involved in SNCC, and she was um, tear gassed in the 1960s, and she ended up going blind from the tear gas. So that's already in my head, like. And so when my brother, that was the first thing he did was call me at 10 o'clock in the morning, and was like, I was tear gassed last night, and then. Um, subsequently my grandson, who's, he just turned five on the 21st of July. He asked my, he asked my daughter, mommy, um, what, what happens to me if the cops shoot me? And she said like, his voice was like quivering. Like, he's like, what's going to happen to me? You know, if the cops shoot me, he's four years old at the time. And he thinks, you know. And my daughter actually is in the military. So she has a different like relationship with the, you know, law enforcement, whatever. She's a military person. So she doesn't want him to be afraid of the police. Right. But he is because he's black, you know, he's afro Latino. He's going to be afraid of the police because this is the United States of America. And I'm a grandma. So what am I going to do? But like everything in my power to kind of leave a contribution to save my kids lives you know and that's what i've been trying to do and it's <laughs> it's like insane <laughs> it's insanity but i can't help myself <laughs> because i'm like we're dying like we're literally dying you know and and the news is like saying one story and they were like talking about focusing on freaking vandalism And, like, these are people, like, you know, getting tear gassed, attacked by the freaking police in Oakland, and you're going to talk about vandalism? That's vandal. You know, that is is police brutality to tear gas, you know, nonviolent people and and potentially blind them because you don't want – everybody needs to be in a house by 8 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? So – that was a long answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's that was my moment. I guess that was my moment.
0: I I like to read a poem and then talk about this watershed moment idea. Um, and and I think it will uh, build off of uh, what Amina has offered to us. Um, this is a poem by Derek Weston Brown. It's a can't have nothing. We can't have nothing, not our skin, not our peace, not our sanctuary, can't have nothing, can't shop, can't swim, can't walk home, can't pray, can't worship, can't have candy, can't sit in a car with friends with the windows down, bathed and base, can't be a free black girl, free black child, free black boy, can't have courtesy, can't ask for help, can't have nothing. Can't get the benefit of the doubt. Can't get called by the names we want to be called. Can't sit in church, pray in church, have a church, mosque, temple. Can't have nothing. Can't have a nice day. Can't have an uninterrupted ride home. Can't have a day when you don't have to look over your shoulder. Can't have nothing. Can't have a day where you know without a shadow of a doubt the people you love will come home alive. Can't have nothing, can't have a day when our everything isn't in question, can't even die without an assist, can't even have a proper burial, can't even have a memorial that goes untouched, can't not be followed in a store for a block for a mile, for a day, for days, for years, for life. Can't even get an isolated incident. Can't get an acknowledgement that the race card is manufactured, store-bought, made from our skin. Can't have nothing. Can't be a disappeared Black girl found safe and in time. Can't be a disappeared Black girl's name read on air. Can't have an indictment, conviction, blah, blah, blah. Can't have paid leave, unpaid leave, break, stop can't have nothing. Um, we're in this moment, right? Yeah, like as as Amina pointed out, it, it George F- Floyd's death wasn't the start um and won't be the end. It won't. Um, and yet for me, as I said before, this point where my daughter is born and then we're in the space of um, of Another um, visual depiction of um, state-sanctioned violence of, of murder, um, and then the digital lynching that happens um, in the exacerbation, the repeated news cycle of these um, videos over and over and over again, um, and that writes itself. You know, we we talk, uh, we have learned about generational trauma and its effects on um, on. Uh, on the body and those um, who are born from um, those who have experienced trauma. And for years I've been talking about um, if trauma can be written on on the one and passed on from generation to generation afterwards, why not joy? Why, why can't we write that kind of um, ec- ecstatic um, presence and uh, collaboration and happiness? Can, why can't we write that on us too? Why can't we write onto us healing and think about that um, as um, walking ancestors. Um, And in that I'm I'm conjuring um, or connecting to the work of Alexis Pauline Gums and her um, work around um, being walking ancestors and that realization. Um, And so I've been thinking about like holding uh, the trauma that affects us all, right? Uh, because race, uh, or rather not so much race, but racism is pandemic as well, right? Um, COVID-19 is pandemic, but it's it's not the first. <laughs> and it combine, combines with um, racism in such terrible ways, right? Um, there's genocide through pandemic uh, because for black and brown peoples especially, we are the most affected, um, and the data reveals that, right? Um, and and trying to resist in um, in ways, um, Natasha Marin has this Black Joy project um, that she had been doing for over a year. Um, it extended actually from her work um, with Reparations Me um, and and calling folks to task and saying you know, black folks ask for what you want and white folks give it. <laughs> here's, um, and here's one platform for that. Um, and I appreciate too um, this urgency for all of us to, to do what, what we can, whether that is just being in touch with our bodies and feeling and like, here's, here's the transparency of how I am emotionally reacting to um, the world that and the world that would want to say control and, and, and be controlled to like starting um, Unhidden Voices with Amina. And my mom and I are doing this project um, really centering joy for BIPOC academics and, and creatives, um, story joy. Right now we're doing a, a counter archival project with um, Black History in Fayette County, which is where I'm um, in Pennsylvania, where my mom is um, originally from. Um, but doing something, right, because we can't, you know, we're, we're bound in our, in our houses, but um, we are not just in these spaces, right? Like we, we have the capacity to extend and to build with one another um, beyond the limits of these walls. And, and I think that's, that's one positive thing about the, this, that water, uh, the um, one watershed moment of, you know the emergence of COVID-19, um, as well as um, one one of the many, <laughs> unfortunately, explosive, um, uh, devastating murders within our community. Um, but what we are learning is that we don't have to be um, in the f- same physical space to actually also affect one another and to affect change. Um, and so that I think it's it's interesting in this. Um, this moment of critical imagination and radical imagination and creation and and prophetic practices right so um yeah uh mary what you got for us what what was your moment for that moment
4: um i really appreciate hearing hearing you all's um you know i i think that i think that some moments that have really stuck with me have been moments where we we hear about young people who are are leading in really tremendous ways right now? Young people of color, um, black youth, um, incredibly imaginative in cities across the country, right? And so I'm just, I've been trying to tune into what you know, what lessons can they teach us? You know, what what can I learn as a teacher educator, as a as a white woman? You know, what what does that mean for me right now? Um, and and. And the students teaching or youth or students teaching us lessons really kind of hit home for me, I think, last week um, when – so we, we all taught, right, this cohort of our, of our single subject students who, you know, graduated back in May, and, you know, they took humanizing education methods and teaching for social justice and methods for liberation and seminars and praxis with us, um, and, and, you know, they wrapped up the program in May, and, and I think we want to do more to, to be able to stay in touch in meaningful ways, you know, with our alumni. And, we, you know, we didn't have something formal that was, you know, set up this summer, but certainly with, you know, so much going on with the, with the pandemic continuing, with movements for racial justice and for Black lives, right, there was just this real hunger in our students or recent graduates, right, right? Um, to To continue to be in one another's presence and to really think about well, what does this mean for me as as first year as a first year teacher? Um, so our students actually initiated; they reached out and initiated getting together, um, and that happened last week. And um, one of the students, you know, who was the the initial instigator, started off, this, and I just kind of sat in on it. But one of our students who was initial instigator, who's actually Amina's uh, supervisee. Um, and in your, in your English math class, but, you know, started off the meeting and said, okay, you know, we're starting the Google doc, we're going to facilitate this like a praxis seminar, like, here we go. And then they just, you know, they went and just raised all kinds of great idea, questions, really, really like going there with the questions, you know, how do we, how do we build beloved love of community in our classrooms? How do we take this thing or this list or this resource that we got? And what does it mean for us right now? You know, um. How do we teach about, you know, about Black Lives Matter in our classrooms, about what's going on? How do we tune into where our students are at, what their experiences are in relation to their identities, our own identities? You know, they were just asking all the questions, like better than, than I've posed the question certainly in class, you know? And so um, that was definitely a moment for me and just, and just a, a reminder, too, um, to really just to do what I can to continue to, to learn. Um, about folks who are uh, most impacted by whatever's going on and, you know, particularly young people and young people of color in in schools right now.
3: Wow. Thank you so much. Um, Listening to you all, I just, it just, you know, just recently I was thinking about, wow, teachers have, teachers have so much power, right? I mean, we, to me, it all starts in the classroom. I'm I really, really thinking about that. Now, when you're thinking about um, social justice, um, culturally responsive social justice education, social just a uh, social, um, culturally responsive pedagogy, how do you explain that to, I know that's a part of your program, your program, but how do you explain that to those teachers if you are educating them or talking to them, who don't know what that is, who have not had that a part of their program. How can we really make change when, you know, you guys have a great program, you you make sure that your teacher teachers know the value in that, but there's a lot of teacher education programs who don't, and, you know, those teachers are teaching our marginalized students. So how... Any ideas on what can be done at the national level, individually? It looks like for teachers, we're going to have to do it. You know, <laughs> we're going to have to do it. But what are some suggestions there? So, um, so we're in a we're in a particular moment
1: right now because um, folks are at different levels of whether or not they're going to be opening schools are reopening or not. Um, in in California. We have this situation where the governor, you know, because we have so become like, you know, emerged as a hot spot. When I think for a very long time, everything seemed like it was under control, and now it's completely not. And um, and so the governor has said, you know, schools need to stay closed in most of our, you know, um, counties throughout the states and throughout the nation, and then internationally, we're having these same issues, right. Where people are afraid and the government is pushing, you know, it's like, Oh no, we have to wear masks and we have to socially distance. And we're going to, you know, have these zoom calls for all of our meetings, but let's send the kids to school. Right. Um, which is absolutely insane, insanity. And, um, and a hundred percent, like really just shows how undervalued, you know, um, our teachers are, our students are, our communities are, you know, uh, you know, the, everybody, the cafeteria workers, the janitors, every person that, you know, you're putting their life in danger. Like I I even had a conversation with my daughter because she's getting ready, you know, to go back to uh, college. And she, you know, she was like, I have a choice. Like I, you know, I can, they said I could be home. or I can you know, do some kind of hybrid where I go in the class, mom, you know, what do you think? And I said, and she's like, they're going to test every day or once a week. They said they're going to test every once a week. I said, well, you know, when they test, if you come out positive, she's like, oh, but yeah, you know, if if you come positive, then you just coordinate. I said, no, if you come positive, you're at the mercy of the virus, right? Because the virus doesn't, you can't dictate to the virus how it's going to react in your body. You can't say, oh, I'm positive, but I'm just going to be asymptomatic. No, the virus is going to tell you what's going to happen, right? And so this is why we, and I, and I told her, I said, it's like when we, like back when we were younger, they used to tell you, like when it, your sexually transmitted disease, they were like, it's like you, every person you have sex with is like every, you having sex with them, but you're also having sex with everybody else they have sex with. Think of that when you think about like when you're in a room with somebody and you're not socially distancing. Like you are, whatever, whoever else they were in contact with, you're in contact with that person. Right? And whatever surfaces. So part of all of this has gotten me thinking about like because there's been a move by folks with money to put together pods, right? And the pod thing is really about classism and racism, right? That's what it's about. So I was like pushing back on that because it's this this idea of like, we don't want, you know, you have to be very elite to be in our pod. You have to have enough resources to be able to pay somebody $75 an hour to teach your child something. And you're doing that because you don't want them with these other kids of color who don't have the money to do something like that. Um and so then I really started just meditating on our history and like what that's not who we that's not where we came from because we always had collective you know responsibility right and to learning and to educating our children and so I wrote a piece um actually on I got up five o'clock in the morning <laughs> I've been doing a lot a lot lately <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing?" Because I'm like always up at five a.m. writing. <laughs> so, but I wrote this piece at five a.m., and it was just like no more distance learning. Right? We need to focus on collective learning instead, and we need to draw on the expertise of like Black women educators uh, in our history who have taught us what, how it is that we're supposed to be doing that. And I, and I sent that out in the world. And it's, you know, that is what I want people to read because it, it really is about, you know, how it is that we have overcome, you know, racism, segregation, you know, mistreatment in the past was by everybody doing, making a contribution. And we're at another moment in time when we need that. We need people to make a contribution. So that if you are, you know, at home and you have to your child at home, you don't have to feel like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. You know, like other people in your life can help you take care of your kid too, right? Even through a Zoom, right? Because it's a matter of like, you know, like my um, this is the last thing I'm gonna say on this, like my one of my very, very dear friends she was, she was kind of at her wits end and she's like, you know, my baby has been crying for days and you know, she, she just won't stop. And so I said, you know, there's a song I always sang my kids and I was like, I just, I'd send, I sang it on the phone and it's mama's little baby love shortening, shortening mama's little baby love shortening bread. Right. So I sang that and I said, play this for her. And she and so she played she played it for the baby and then the baby was like, I love you. And she said, she said she loves me and she stopped crying, right? And I said, It works like a child every time. I told you, I told you. So but that's what we need to be doing. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to be in the house like you know, you need to call your other people and say, like, help me out. Like, my baby's fine. What did I do? Right. Because, if we can do something like that. We have the technology. We don't have to feel alone. You know what I mean? That's the collective, that's the collective nature of, you know, what we, where we need to go.
0: I, I'm always following you. I mean,
1: <laughs> but I think this piece around, like,
0: you don't have to be alone. Right. Uh, and, um, Andrea, your question around how do you prepare these um, uh, teachers who are oftentimes working with um, folks that they've not had much exposure to their own lives, right? 80% of of the uh, around there of the teaching force are white uh, white folks, right? Um, And um, exposure to a multiplicity of cultures might not be their own lived experience, right? Or their educational experience. Um, so, how to prepare uh, them to not be just teaching to themselves? Um, and I think this piece we we also can't lose what often happens to teachers. is like, oh I, I I love this subject matter, and I will have control over the domain of my classroom, and anything in the domain of my classroom is is under my power. <laughs> that's that just not. <laughs> That's not how it's going to work. <laughs> and those teachers who think that, that they can control their little, their little bubble, their little pie in their classroom and un, under like, circumstances long before COVID, um, they don't survive. <laughs> they don't persist as, um, as educators beyond you know, five years. Um, and I have to say, I, I, I love my program. And recently, we were talking with a, a colleague about a number of different things. And, and I wanted to know about how successful our students are um, and if they persist. Uh, and we found out because one of our colleagues, who's the placement coordinator, Chris Junse, who's amazing, brilliant, brilliant guy, um, incredible leader, he did the research. He called our alums for the last five years. And it was, it was incredible. Over 95% of our students had, were persisting into that fifth year. And we know that the, the data for most teachers is by five years, half are gone, right? Um, they've moved on to other careers. So when I think about how our program in particular is working to support these teachers to actually be the community org- organizers that I think I personally think and I think our program also believes. That teacher should be, we know it's working <laughs> um, and that piece of like you don't have to be alone, um, you can um, and you should connect with um, well first you should know yourself right, and understanding where your people came from and your people's history and and that's not a third grade project, right like doing your fam- family tree that that is an ongoing um, consideration of where where do your people come from and, and who is living within you? And sometimes you got to heal your, yourself to heal your past. And sometimes you can also recognize like, oh, I have been given this legacy of, of this thing that we do well and I can share that love with, with folks. But you have to reckon with that, right? You have to be mindful um, of your own story and why you came into the work of teaching. Um, so there's that. And then you, again, we don't have to be alone. We should not be alone. Connecting with parents, connecting with um, guardians, connecting with uh, support providers in the community, connecting with young people um, in their own vision for their futures and how do we support that? Like Those are the kind of questions that the, a teacher need, needs to ask and, and to be in partnership with these different folks to, um, to enact. Um, and, you know, it's not just about a, a beautiful lesson plan, right? Like, um, ultimately, it can be the most beautiful thing in the world, everything planned out to the second, if you like, but if you don't have any heart in there, like, <laughs> if you don't care about the the folks in the room, that is going to be the worst thing ever, <laughs> and it's going to feel like torture to everyone in that space. Um, so this, that, I think, is part of the gift of, of our program. And, and the fo- I'm like, I'm so happy to be talking with y'all, with, with Amina and Mary, um, because those are the things we need. Uh, my fear for this time is that um, teachers will feel overwhelmed, in, or, or um, teacher candidates at least, in doing the work of self and self-discovery and community organizing. And then also on top of that, now they have to be online teachers. And really thinking about how, how to humanize their practices, right? Like how to not lose um, their um, their sense of self and the students within the classroom, and then also the, to you know be community organizers in a way that is very different because we know that our students in our communities, like 100%, don't have access to the online tools that will be necessary for them to be successful, and you know you're gonna lose. They are going to lose. They're going to lose. Um, very easily, um, if, if folks are not on top of it, a number of students, right, who themselves are perhaps t- uh, drawn into caregiving, right, of, of their younger siblings who are now also in the home and having to foster um, their education because nothing stopped um, or uh, online access has gone down and now a family um, or has disappeared and what happens in that instance. Or um, last year, right? Like um, there were a number of teachers who could really follow up on a student who was demonstrating familial crisis, whether abuse or whatever, but now they're not in the classroom. So how do you keep track of that? Um, because you don't see them every day. And it's one thing to actually have a whole conversation um, or uh, have a whole class together and be able to have a side conversation with a student or see something. Um, but now you have potentially 30 students online. Like, how do you have that side conversation? How do you even know what's going on? And that additional um, load for teacher candidates as well as um, as just um, teachers in the classroom and, and those who are also taking on that role of mentors. So. Um, that there are some worries that I have for uh, folks who are rising into leadership as, as teachers, um, as well as those who are communities more expansively um, and who, who's gonna be lost um, and how do our communities come together to um, so that no one is. Uh, and I'm not, that, that too is a different kind of work of, of teachers as community organizers. Um, an extension um, and we all have to grow in, in guiding that process too.
4: You know, so our the teacher ed program that I teach with my colleagues in and, and Raina is speaking to, so we are, we're just over three years into an explicit transformation. We just call it the transformation. Everybody knows what we're talking about. We say the transformation, right? It's to this explicit transformation. Um, Around equity and social justice in urban schools, um, and that you know when I say we, I mean us, but also um, Chris Jense, as Raina mentioned, and Cliff Lee, um, who was also at St. Mary's for a long time, um, and Gemma nierman um, and Gemma, Gemma recently passed away, um, and i wanna I want mention her and honor her name and 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 lift up her name and you know in thinking about her in, in this collaborative work as well. Thank you, Mary. yeah um um yeah so 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 um i think just before the pandemic hit and i was just remembering this as you were talking right now like just before the pandemic hit i think we came to this place of like we have been on the grind with work for three years building this transformation like i think we kind of collectively came to this space of really um wanting to to look back and do some of the storytelling for how you know the program very intentionally came to be right some of that work was before my time at st mary's i've, I've been here you know for four or three years now um but so that storytelling and then the analysis right and really engaging in the kind of reflective praxis that we preach with our students right and how can we really you know i mean we've been you know we we have we have hours long program meetings every couple of weeks where we do that for sure right but <laughs> For sure, um, but how, you know, how, how can we really start to write about it also in a way to, to put it out there and share with folks and get folks feedback and, and continue to improve what we're, what we're up to? Um, and so before the pandemic hit, we, we wrote this conference proposal together that actually ended up turning into a paper because the conference didn't happen in person, um, but it's called Social Justice in Teacher Education. It's more than a course. And, you know, our point with this is that, you know, way too often we hear, like, oh, I'm going to, like, attend to diversity or being culturally responsive on, like, week 11 of my, you know, diversity class <laughs> or something. And it's like, no, you know, that's, that's not what this is about. And that's, you know, that's, that, that's actually entirely dehumanizing, right? To not have a structural analysis of how schools perpetuate oppression and a, and a social cultural, historical, political analysis of schools in our society right and what we can do what we can do to think about education as a vehicle for social change right and so in this paper, what we tried to do together was to think about you know all the different facets of the teacher ed program design that's so just more than about like what we do w- within any one class but so we, you know so we talked about like even in our admissions process you know Chris Came up with this really wonderful um, activity for this process, where students will um, read an article about racism and then come to the interview and talk to him about their reflection on that article. Right, so that can Mm. that can support us to gauge. You know, we're not looking for someone to understand every term, right? And like have you know, right? We're we're in this space. We want to support students' consciousness, consciousness building, um, but we're looking for that humility, right? I know Amina speaks a lot, and writes a lot about cultural humility, right? We're looking for that, um, and you know, also coming into that interview, we share with students our transformative educator inventory, which is a list of characteristics and dispositions that we've seen in research, you know, supports um, in in transformative educators um, in in urban schools. Um, We share with students, you know, the learning objectives for the program, which are around humanizing class community and pedagogy and lesson design, um, around building with families and communities as educational partners, right? Those kinds of things. And so students know what they're, what what they will, you know, be getting up front with the program, um, and are really called from even before they're admitted to start thinking about it, right? And then when we bring students in, we start with this, with this foundations class that I'm about to start teaching tomorrow Um, that's really um, all centered around interrogating their own identities and experiences going through school. At the end of the class, they write a critical uh, positionality paper um, and really um, digging into a number of different critical theorists and practitioners, um, you know, who just been doing the work, right, in schools and and we link up with teachers, uh, practicing teachers. Um, like, you know, this, this year, we're going to have the founder of Teachers for Social Justice in, in San Francisco, Karen Zapata, who will be a guest speaker. Um, and, you know, so we just, and then, and then we continue on. I mentioned some of the other courses that we have, right, that social justice and, and culturally sustaining pedagogy are, are these threads, right, that run through, that run through all of our courses um, and our placements too, right, like really thinking about how we can foster our students to have meaningful placement, year-long placements in Title I urban schools with mentor teachers who are deeply committed to social justice, right, and are willing to model their um, praxis alongside student teachers, you know, as their, as, as partners in the work. Um, you know, and so I think, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more work we want to do, mm-hmm. um, but some of those things like Raina said are, you know, are things that that we've seen to be effective and supportive so far um, and we really, really want, you know, um, the resources within our institution, but also just the, the kind of connection and support and solidarity with teacher education programs across mm-hmm. the country and world, you know, to, to be able to continue doing the work that we, that we so much need.
3: Yeah. Wow. Thank you very much, because I just have that concern that your wonderful program, what you're doing for your teachers, you know, there's a lot of district across the country just don't have that. It's really, especially these times, that's really for or, or, you know, our, our kids out there. So thank you
2: very much. You guys are doing great, doing a lot. Thank Absolutely. you. So there are five self-starters in this virtual call. <laughs> and a lot of our audience are just regular everyday teachers and students. And so I imagine that every one of us at some point in, in the last six months has thought has thought, what can I, what can I do? What can I really actually accomplish um, to help? And so not everybody's gonna want to launch a podcast or write a memoir or, you know, create a new webinar. I mean, all these things that that the five of us have been talking about are really intimidating to some folks. So if you're listening to this podcast and you just want to know, like, what's one thing that I can do as a teacher to really embrace, you know, humanizing my online class this fall so that I can acknowledge my students and meet them where they're at. Do any of the three of you have even just like one go-to thing that they could start with if they just want to start tipping their, you know, putting their big toe into the water of all this?
1: I know
0: Mary's had a lot of things that she shared with the um, our faculty list. So ma- maybe Mary, do you have like one that you might want to share?
4: I don't know if you're referring to the virtual Bitmoji classroom. I got I loved on. Loved it! I loved it. <laughs> I got. A, I started seeing it on social media. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play with this. So that, that was cool. I can, I can share that resource with you, Summer. But you know, I mean, uh, reading Bettina Love's book. Uh, you know, we want to do more than survive, that, that comes to mind for me, um, you know, as, as something that would be wonderful to do. In the foundations class, we read what keeps teachers going. I love, love reading that book alongside, um, you know, brand new teachers, um, whether they, or I guess brand new, or whether they've been in the classroom for a while. Um, But what I would say is, like, everyone's ideas are just as fresh right now. Like, nobody, we, you know, we kind of, you know, we might have ideas about what we're doing, but we, you know, we don't know what we're doing in a lot of ways. And, and you know, like when I was collaborating on this on this webinar on humanizing online math teaching with my colleagues, you know, my now colleagues, i Kelsey Macias and Nima Haritian, um, You know, they knew a whole lot about all the kinds of medias that would reach young people right now, um, and actually got me to join Snapchat so I could make a little thing with little, you know, little thing. That I don't know what I'm doing yet, right? But, like, <laughs> um, but you know, every, everyone has insight on, on what it means to, you know, either be a young person, if it's young people we're talking about, or connect with young people. You know, we, we really need to tap into communities and families, funds of knowledge, read about funds of knowledge. That would be really important. Um, but let's, you know, like Amina was saying, like we need to start with where folks are at, what are, you know, what beautiful cultural practices do you, do you use in your homes? You know, how can you learn about your students and their families? Um, how, how do we start with what it is that young people know? What, what is it that young people are wondering about the world right now? What do they want to change? How do they want to change it? You know, how can we look at as, as young people, you know, as researchers and as, as change agents right now? Um, you know, so I just, you know. Questioning where knowledge comes from right and then it doesn't it doesn't have to come from you know these like elite journal articles that we would have to pay to like read like no like how can how can we look you know really within communities for you know collective work and collective healing yeah
1: so my so I agree with um with what um Mary just said, and I also um have a just a couple of suggestions so one is uh So a very uh, good friend of mine and um, colleague uh, who we graduated from uh, Berkeley together and now she's at um, University of Texas at Austin. But she put together a curated list of like resources for Black Lives Matter. Um, And, you know, it has like everything that we've been talking about and more by all kinds of subject matter, culturally responsive, you know, text for culturally responsive uh, pedagogy, um, centering girls, uh, focusing on police brutality, what is the difference between racism and anti anything you could think of that has to do with Black Lives Matter is on there. So I will share that with you. Um, I'm using it to help me kind of look through my syllabi because some of the resources are like text to purchase, but then a lot of them are free. There's like links to podcasts on there. Um, just think everything that people can do, which is, a nut, which is the second thing is that Um, I think a lot of what I'm learning is the most important thing for us to do is the self-work right now, you know, um, it's really to kind of analyze and look at yourself and kind of see number one, um, particularly let's say for, um, not just, you know, not just for like allies, but also just like as a person who, you know, as is a, is a black person, I had to do, think about like what do I want my contribution to be, right? Everybody needs to be doing that work, and we need to be thinking about like what what we need to do, but then also what we can do to be an ally for other people who you know other communities. There's still a lot going on, like undocumented. Like there's a lot of things that we need to be addressing in our you know society, and um, and so yeah and register to vote and don't just register to vote vote like these are things you can do right like very easily and everybody needs to be no one should be at home when you know because um unless you're voting by mail <laughs> you know what i mean like we really need to be doing stuff and looking at your syllabus right um so every teacher you need to look at your syllabus and you need to say you know who is who is this a mirror of who is this a window to? Right? And where is there is there a sliding glass door in here? So a mirror means that it's reflecting, is this a reflection of like your students in the classroom? And not and that's absolutely what you need to do. You need to have images that are there that are reflection. And this isn't me saying this is this is Rudine's work. Um, um, uh, but teaching tolerance, uh, this is from from them. Rudine Smith Bishop, is that? I don't want to say her name incorrectly, but I think that's her name. Is that her name? Um, okay, but she 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 came up with this mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. Um, uh, um, what's that called? Uh, you're gonna have to edit this out because I'm like. But you know the metaphor. Mat- uh, metaphor. Thank you. Metaphor. Yeah. The metaphor. Yes. So she came up with this metaphor. So a mirror is a reflection. So we want to have reflect our students, right? We want to have images, texts that are a reflection of the students in the classroom. So if you're teaching students of color and all of the texts are of white people, that's not appropriate, right? Because they're not gonna be interested in reading about something that has nothing to do with them. So you need to do the work of finding texts that connect to them. Now, if you are in a homogenous, uh, you know, classroom where everyone, you look like out of your students, right? You want to have a um, window, right? You want to have a window into the experience of others. And that's how we build empathy for other people's lives and their stories by having windows. And these windows cannot be dirty. So don't be coming up with some stereotypical crap and then putting that there, right? It needs to actually have a criticality to it so it should be spoken from the voices of the people that you're trying to don't have a window like which is like somebody looking out the window at somebody else and saying "Mm," like that's what their story's about no like have that person tell you their story and look into it from that right perspective because we have too much going on where we're where we're You know, having this gaze on people's lives and experiences, um, and we don't know what we're talking about when we do that, and that's wrong. So that's that. And then the third is the sliding glass door, which is an immersive experience. And so um, what I like to, one of my students said one time that it's kind of like the difference between looking out the window at the rain and going outside and dancing in the rain, right? Right. So that's that to me is just such a brilliant thing. So you want to actually be able to immerse yourself, like, as much as possible. So sometimes that could be, you know, putting on plays or like you know going into you know once the COVID um, banners are actually being in the museum. The Teaching Tolerance Museum in um, in L. A. has this really powerful exhibit where you actually go in and you get to experience what a, what a Holocaust survivor might have gone through right and it's very 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 you know powerful and then we get to hear from firsthand accounts of holocaust survivors so that's that would to me be a sliding glass door type of experience but you want to do that Um, those are the mirrors the windows the sliding glass doors that's what you need to be checking on your syllabus right to making sure that your syllabus contains all three of those things and everybody needs to be doing that and we all need to be. When people say decolonize your syllabus, that's what they mean. Because I think when we hear that terminology, like ooh, you know, that seems scary to us. No, like you know, it's it's saying like your syllabus may have been, you know, controlled by one image, right? That's the colony, like right? So let's let's break that up. Let's break up the colony and just actually have different voices and different texts in our syllabi so that we can actually do the work of actually reaching our students and and being more um supportive of their lives and their experiences.
0: So I'll close out with some things that um my colleagues are so brilliant. <laughs> um, I'll close out with some things that folks can do. One is that um these are unprecedented times and recognizing that and saying okay, I can do one thing at a time and breathing in that, right? So um, because as teachers, especially many of us are really overachievers (laughs) and we want to do everything. Everything has to be perfect and excellent. and, And, you know, in our regular classrooms, there were lovely, pretty posters everywhere and the classroom was all arranged. And now since we don't have our classrooms in the same way, everything has to be arranged here. Um, on the screen, and everything's going to be perfect. And that is a falsity. <laughs> Nothing is going to be perfect. perfect. We got to let that go <laughs> um, and let go perfection. And in that, uh, recognize and, and be sit in our vulnerability and wow. model that for young people um, because they, too, are, are um, going to be vulnerable in these online spaces especially we see one of those homes, right? Like we're being let into one of those homes uh, just through the screen, right? In a very different way than what it would be if we were in person. So trying, just making a commitment to trying one thing um, and, and building off, off of that. And it can be as simple as teaching yourself and teaching your students how to cha- rename yourself so that your name and your pronouns are there because that shows that you are very interested in who is in the room um, and, and um, building off of that, right? How, how, how much a name means and how, how important it is to properly pronounce a name, like starting from there in this online space. It, it, if you have a, the, all the bells and whistles for a nice um, PowerPoint, that means nothing if you don't pronounce that person's name correctly. Mm-hmm. If you don't um, uh, use the correct pronoun or how they would um, like to be called. Um, so that I think also the teachers, if we are, are motivated by love and by care and, and that is um, the driving influence on our teaching, we can um, recognize that you know if we're not hitting every single point in the, in the curriculum or that's okay, folks will get to whatever it is, right? But if if the driving piece is that, you have forgotten that there are humans in the room, You have forgotten your love. And so that I think is also really important for, for teachers to to hold is like, I am doing this work as an educator because I love young people. And I believe in the work of our community. I believe in the, the power, the collaborative power of them. I'm holding space. For these wild seeds to grow, um, and if we're just focused on all of this, others like the the curriculum and checking off, human beings are not checkboxes, right? We are not check boxes. so we have to again center the breath, do things together um, from a spirit of love, and also in the space of curiosity, challenging teachers to ask questions. Um, and and holding space for young people to also ask questions and to connect those um, those points of inquiry to the world. Right. Um, again, we're not in the space of like check the box. I can I can now identify that adjective and that adverb and that and that verb. Okay, that's wonderful. You got parts of speech. How is that, how does that apply to your understanding of the the power of a speech and what a speech is doing in this political and social environment, right? We got to move to that, that that critical thinking, that agency, that power of young people, and that is within the the work of the teacher, right? So the breath starting simply, moving from a place of love and asking good questions, everything else will fold, will come
3: into play, so. Wow. Thank you so much. Well, how do you all, with everything going on, and all the great work that you're doing, how do you all establish a sense of normalcy? What do you do for yourself? Oh, I have so many things. (laughs) It's been hard. It's been hard, myself included.
0: Oh, and I think part of it is is that I'm on leave. But um, right after... Right before we went into the shelter in place, I'd gotten the news that I, I had achieved the, the new rank of full professor, right? And I bought myself a piano. And um, as soon as I knew that shelter in place was coming and my delivery of my piano was supposed to be the day after, I was like, no, it cannot come then. <laughs> like, I need this. I can't have it locked in the store. So I called them. It happened to be that the, the piano place was uh, just a few blocks away from my home. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky that I could actually walk to where I bought my instrument. Um, and they're like, no worries, we're going to deliver it for you today because we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold either. So, so they delivered it. And my mom, uh, when she retired, uh, she had three goals. One of them was to learn the piano, so she took um, piano lessons regularly. Um, and you know, things have changed, She's, but she still plays her piano at home. So once I got mine, my mom was on the East Coast. Um, every day, um, b- before I had my daughter, um, at eight o'clock, eight thirty in the morning, before I took my walk, um, we would have our daily piano lesson. So my mom would guide me through the books, right? I bought the same book she's got. She would practice before, um, I, uh, got online on zoom and I would have my, my daily lesson. And, uh, now it's gone to a weekly lesson with an actual, uh, like uh uh not an actual she was my piano teacher but i have someone who is trained as a piano teacher now um so i have a weekly lesson my husband is now taking trumpet lessons um and so there's a lot of music in my house my punk rock toddler plays the uh um the the uh anything is a drum actually anything is a drum um there's a lot of screaming very screamo um and we try and take a walk every day um, so there are there are these rhythms right that we 're trying to make sure that we have having some sort of outdoor experience um, being outside in our garden and putting things in the ground. I was one of the victory part garden people, but we had been gardening for a long time before that, so um, before shelter in place we were growing like forty to sixty things uh, in a uh, in a summer um, so our, our garden works really well, looks works hard, um, but this year it's, it's a little bit more. It <laughs> we went a little wild with the germination um, process. Uh, and so that's been this great bounty of spending time in our front or backyard and, and seeing things grow. So yeah, that's that's what we're doing for normalcy. Mary, you want to go?
4: Sure. Um, you know, I- I think that I think that having a so my daughter Rosa Esperanza just turned three, having a having a three year old, we're just living in her wonder all day. I mean, we're all, you know we're also we're also with her all day. So I'm very tired <laughs> because I'm you know we're both working full time and we, we, we have her at home full time. Um, and we lost access to childcare and that whole thing is a whole other, whole other thing. You know, families families who are people who are caregivers right now um but she you know to her she she has a whole lot of things to do all day and this beautiful you know it's not a schedule but she you know so just being in her joy whether you like I was saying if it's dancing or you know running around outside when we can get outside um you know she loves music she loves instruments as well um, super into puzzles right now, so just and just her curiosity and her like imaginative play has really exploded the last few months um with different characters and what they're interested in and relationships between you know people as manifesting in the characters she's playing with and so like you know just being on the floor with her playing is has just um you know I think she's just she's like living living the life too, like with, with the parents around all the time. Um, You know, so that's, that's been really sweet. And we've been doing some gardening too. We haven't planted like stuff to eat yet. That'll be like our next level stuff. But we, you know, I've just been putting in like some succulents and some other plants. And I got, it was just my partner and I, we just celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary. And I had, I was all about like for this last month, trying to make our, the little courtyard in front of our house, like, romantic and enchanting. <laughs> so, like, we got, like, lights and, like, this little fountain and you know, just, you know, like, little things. And so, we had dinner out there on our anniversary because we obviously can't go anywhere and we have our, you know, our baby at home. And, um, and, and it was really lovely, you know. So, just kind of, just, like, the simple things. The simple things and the connectedness between the three of us, I think, is, is really, it keeps me going. Oh, that's so sweet. Um,
1: so so I guess a couple things. One is that I um I recognize the importance of communicating and connectedness. So I have like I'm on like three groups like text um chat things. And so like one is like my friends that I've known since, you know, high school and we're all still very so we 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 do affirmations and check in with each other like every day about anything and everything what we're watching on tv what we want to read you know anything um our hair products (laughs) like just stuff like that and then I have one that's just like um my best friend my cousin is my best friend and then her brother and then our older cousin and so it's just and then they're my cousin um's daughter so it's like the five of us and we chat every day and then I started one with like extended family and so just and it really started around just like hey everybody I know it's tough I just want you to know I love you and you know we're all everything's gonna be okay and so now we just you know chat with each other and just check in and then I try and call people just like you know, every week or, you know, especially like my mom, she's in Oakland and, um, but we haven't really been able to talk, but then she's retiring after 36 years as a professor at Laney College. So shout out mama. <laughs> so I was like helping her do her social security, <laughs> like paperwork, <laughs> but you know, I, um, just that, you know, I'm trying to also help her kind of, cause that's such a huge, change that she's gonna be going through um like this is her first week with no classes because she taught summer school you know um so that and then with my family like just baking like i started baking cookies i'm really good and good at it so yeah i can i i'm gonna make because eat is coming up this friday so i'm gonna make some butter cookies with sprinkles so if y'all want some let me know (laughs) And then um, I'm just doing like little drive-bys, not (laughs) drive-bys, drop-offs. drive-bys, that's got a wrong connotation. I'm doing (laughs) drop-offs. And then, um, yeah, and then I love like watching TV. Oh, so there's this new show. It's called, uh, it's on Netflix, and it's called In the Dark. So I I watched season two first, because I actually thought I was watching season I only thought there was one season. So I binge watched the second season. And now I'm watching the first season. I'm, I'm catching, doing catching. Cause I was like, who's that character? You know, anyway, but it's really a good. It's kind of like, it's about the lead characters blind. And I'm really interested in like, you mm. know, characters that don't, they don't have, you know, the typical what you would expect. So the lead character in this story is like a blind woman who's an alcoholic.
3: Oh. Wow.
1: And, um, yeah, it's a really, really cool story. So, um, yeah, so, and it's, like, a murder mystery, you know, and I love mysteries. So, yeah, so that kind of stuff. So, like, we, you know, me and my husband will binge watch, you know, shows and and different stuff for me and the kids. And, yeah, and then we actually did one, like, art thing where we kind of all came together. My daughters organized it, and we just painted on canvas, and so um Tim, we had we played like I was in charge of the music. So I put like Anita Baker on and they were like, who's Anita Baker? Yeah, I know, right? And then I was like, oh, if I a bad mother, like my kids don't know who Anita Baker I have
0: not educated these folks going <laughs> like, on in your house.
1: <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So anyway, so now they know who Anita is, but anybody else who's listening to this. Anita Baker, check her out. she's amazing, okay, so we' played her, and then now, like in my house, we have like the canvases that we all made like uh like the art, yeah, and that's a really a beautiful thing so
2: well, we'll link to Anita Baker in the show notes as well as all of your additional uh, resources and social media. Um, we have a couple more questions, but we've we've kind of covered a lot of it, so Uh, Andrea, what do you think about ending with question eight, and then we can follow up with the plugs and contact info? You want to do that? Okay. Oh, Andrea, you're on mute.
3: Well, when you think about the future, you know, of society, right, Um, what are you hopeful for and fearful of societal change, what are you hopeful for? Fearful of?
1: Um. So, so I'm not fearful anymore. Um, I think that was probably. I think uh, the fact that we've kind of uh, we like we're burying John Lewis, right? We're burying like my parents' generation, you know. And there's a changing of the guard that happened. And I was afraid of that. You know, I was afraid of, like, losing those people because, like, they've been so much. And, you know, I mean, they've done so much for us. And then it's like we're – like, I remember one time um, my cousin Doug and I, we were – it was my um, – we threw Shelly, my best friend, we threw her uh, a surprise birthday party. And, uh, and it was a moment and Doug and I both recognized it at the same time. Like our, our moms hugged each other and we both, like we were talking later and we both recognized the fragility of them, you know, in our own minds, like, you know, and then we were talking about it and we're like, yeah, it was just like this weird thing where it's like, and then my aunt, Doug's mom, Doug and Shell's mom, she passed in September. Right. So, um, on Carmen. So that was my thing. That was like the fragility piece and like the changing of the guard piece. And like, I was afraid, you know, of like having to step into this now, like we are responsible now, you know, um, for making this world better, like, whoa, you know, what I'm saying? that's heavy and that's a lot. And, but they've given us so much, um, to prepare us, you know, and we are prepared. So we have to meet the moment, right? We have to meet the challenge. So I'm, that's what I um, feel like I'm most excited about is the work. Because I feel like, wow, you know, there's so much that we can do. And this this last piece I'm going to say harkens back to your earlier question about, like, what can one person do? One person can watch YouTube. Like, you know, you can learn a lot. Like, I learned how to put together a podcast watching YouTube. You know what I'm saying I don't you know I'm not an expert podcaster but guess what that was something I felt like I could do and I was like I need to put that you know so that was something one person did I watched the show and she told me step by step what to do and I followed the instructions and I started a podcast you know what I'm saying so everybody can do something and we have been prepared we're ready you know, we're ready for this moment, and so we just need to meet it. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, you know, galvanizing and meeting the challenge that we face.
0: Hopeful and fearful of. Okay. So I I definitely vibe with what Amina said around fear. Um for me, there are many, you know, anxieties and concerns, and and but I try not to hold on to the fear because, um, you know, if you if you dream it, it can be true too. You can dream it into into truth. So I try and dream of the hopeful things, of of um, a, a new way, right? Um, and with that, I am hopeful. Every, every crisis yields opportunity, right? We are um, in the midst of many. Um, Amina pointed out the, the changing of the old guard. Um, there is also um, the very real to me, um, and I think not just to me, um, understanding of this pandemic, at least within our country as being used by, um, uh folks who ascribe to white supremacy as a genocide, as a as a mechanism for genocide.
3: Um,
0: and there is also the suffering of the world um, around racism, around um, poverty, around limited resources. I'm on the board for um, Daraja Academy, an incredible school in Kenya, and, and schools have shut down for the year, like in Kenya. And several of the of the young folk who Um, were coming from um, places where they would not have an education other than the opportunity of the school. And it's a boarding school. Um, Everything is provided for them from all over Kenya. Schools like that just don't exist there, Um, of talking about ethnic diversity and language and so many things. It's an incredible space. Um, Many of those young people are at the point of starvation. Um, Their families are at the point of starvation. And at the same time, they are... Um, worried about what this, they're, in their country, high-stakes testing, you take one test, you take it one time, and that determines your life. Um, and so that for, their, they have in mind towards that next November, and so they're in the space of, like, there is no food or very little, and I still have three hours of online education, <laughs> like, so that. um I am in the space, though, of hope um, for them and for us all that in this time of great tumult around the world, that we can, we can see a new way. Um, and that may be, um, you know, it, it might be in communities gathering in very different um, ways of collaborative, of, of um, folks um, building in their small neighborhoods. Um, of educating one another, you know, Mary and I are part of a caregiving um, uh, group who were agitating for some changes at our university. Um, and we have one colleague who's um, creating a pod with um, folks who've gone to the same school, they live in the same neighborhood, and they are sharing caregiving responsibilities as well as educating our, our responsibilities. And Knowing that one person, I know the um, creativity and the social justice work that they're going to be guiding these young people in and holding together. I, I have hope for um, how we come together, even though we're isolated, um, and in keeping one another safe. Um, I have hope. Uh, in the work that I'm going to do with my mom, right? Like, and uh, and that I continue to do. We've been doing workshops together for 14 years. I realized in um, helping uh, folks of color, in particular, um, rise in leadership and and critical and radical imagination, and um, and working with social workers and educators and human service providers and and thinking about um, doing some guerrilla archival work, <laughs> counter archival work, um, I have hope in that. Uh, and I, I think that um, our world is never gonna be the same. It's never gonna be what it was on in, in March or the, or the months before that. Um, and that, there's a grief in that and also um, and a, a beautiful possibility in that too. Um, So yeah, I'm hopeful. And I don't know what it's all going to play out to. None of us do. Um, But I am going to try and be like water (laughs) and flow, (laughs) flow with it all. Um, And so I think we can learn from that.
4: love that, Raina. Thank
3: you.
4: Um, So I heard the question about about um, being hopeful and, and and fearful. Um, and I heard I heard most of my colleagues' responses, but I, I missed just some parts of them um, because my daughter is waking up from her nap, you know. And it just made me think about that's actually kind of connected to my answer about both hope and, and fear concerns is around people's capacities in this time, right? Like I'm concerned, and I don't mean to center like my own experience as a caregiver right now, because I have hella privilege in all kinds of ways, material privilege and otherwise to, to manage right now, right? Um, but, you know, I think, I think the, the weight of the world is really tremendous in a lot of ways. And so I, I really appreciated your, you know, your question earlier about, like, sustaining joy and taking care. And I think it would just be really important that we keep tuning into that. Um, to make sure that you know folks voices and actions who are most important to listen from and to center like Amina was speaking to earlier you know that 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 we the collective we do everything we can to you know support those folks to to you know to be feeling good right and so um, you know and yeah so that's did I want to say Sorry, I was putting these thoughts together, like my daughter's singing a song right now, she's not crying, she's in the crib, but said my brain is like, <laughs> it's just exactly. where we are. <laughs> yes. Oh, so then hopeful, so I'm also really hopeful about people's capacities, like just the dreaming, like the radical dreaming about what society and systems of education can look like, mm-hmm. where, you know, that is really like, you know, I mean, between 11, folks are talking about abolitionist teaching, right, and, and mm-hmm. abolitionist schools, and, like, really throwing out, you know, tremendous, you know, oppressive um, systems and structures, and imagining very different ways of being, and so, like, our our capacities to, to imagine something, you know, very new, I think is also really, like, hopeful, you know, um, for me, and, uh, you know, there's so much, like, uncertainty in this time, and I feel like we hear that and we see that in every email that comes out, you know, and it's such an uncertain time, right, and also, I'm really feeling like in a lot of ways, it's a much more certain time, like the moral clarity that folks are bringing into spaces right now is, is, you know, I mean, it has been there, right, and it's, and it's also tremendously deep right now, and I think we can, we can learn a lot from the insights of so many. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Well, our last question is simple. Where can people find you and your work, Um, your email, social media, podcast links, your counter archives, where can people find you? We will put that in the show notes um, when we publish your episode.
1: So um, you can find me at, um, so my podcast is Unhidden Voices. And it's on my channel. So I have a YouTube channel, um, Amina Norris on YouTube, or um, you can find Unhidden Voices on um, Anchor, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast or get your podcast. Also, um, I am putting together a repository of resources um, for like this collective learning that I've been talking about on my website, um, which is unhiddenvoices.org. And if you are, if you can actually email me if you're a teacher out there and you, you're interested or you have a really cool lesson that you just want to share, um, please email and share that with us at info at unhiddenvoices.org. Um, you can email me personally at dr.norris.unhiddenvoices at gmail.com.
3: You can find
0: me in all the places, (laughs) y'all. I um, do. So as an individual as well as a professional, I am at Leon R-A-I-N-A-L-E-O-N. I'm on the, on the gram, on
1: Twitter, on Facebook. I also. She froze. She froze. Come, come back. Oh, there you go. Oh, you yeah. said-
3: okay, you're back. Okay,
1: we're <laughs> on <our back>. gram, <laughs> and then you said Twitter, Facebook, and then you froze.
0: And then I froze. Okay, well, I'm, I'm on uh, at León at on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Also, I edit for the Ascentos Review and at Ascentos Review on Twitter, Facebook, the Gram. Um, and I mentioned StoryJoy several times. So, um at Storyjoy Inc. <laughs> on Twitter, on the gram, on not we're not on Facebook. We do have a website, um, storyjoyinc.com as well as a YouTube channel. Uh um, and it's just it, the easiest way to get to it is um on bit.ly so bit.ly slash storyjoytv. Um and we have a, a teachable um place, uh, uh, online um, space for um, classes. And we're actually working on a free module on the history of Black Faith County. Um, and there are some uh, ones that are very focused on financial literacy, on um, creative practice, on this blending of the um, the interests and, and uh, bounties that my mom and I had to offer. So yeah. Oh, by the way, my mom is Dr. Norma Thomas. Um, she's now re- retired, um, but she herself um, ended up being a, a full professor of social work and a former a- administrator um, of social work programs. So um, she's not, she well, she is, she is my mom, <laughs> and I'm very happy that she's my mom. She also <laughs> has these other capacities as a creative practitioner and as a as a professor and social worker. <laughs>
4: I love that we've learned about both of your moms today. I just think that's really wonderful. <laughs> um, you can find me on almost places, uh, Facebook and Twitter, email, um, Instagram. I did mention like um, opening a Snapchat account earlier to like do some cool stuff, but I don't have any friends yet. So don't look for me there. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to go all in on that one. I don't know yet. Um, but anyways, and so something I'm also really happy to share is that um, with, 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 Um, Reina and Amina and some other um, critical scholars in the Kalmanovitz School of Education at St. Mary's College were in the process of um, forming a collective or a center um, to really uh, come together and and share our work. And so
2: stay tuned because that that will be coming out um, very soon. Oh my gosh, we Mm -hmm. have taken so much of your time twice. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Oh, you guys are great. Wow. Yeah. This was wonderful. Thank you so That's much. Awesome. Thank you so much. So nice meeting you all. Wow. Thank
4: you. Oh, this was wonderful. So good to see you. Thank well, you, thank so you for this space. This is a wonderful <laughs> podcast. Such a pleasure to, to dialogue with you both and my colleagues. Thank you.
3: All go out there and train
4: those teachers.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. You have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Afternoon. <laughs> Bye-bye. You can find us at SouthPhoenixOralHistory.com. dot com. Send us an email at historysouthmountain at gmail dot com, or find us on social media at SMCC History. Music provided by Jake and Emily Speck.